we have to sort of define what we mean by art and culture. Society to truly transform on both an individual and society scale, art and politics must address the social issues within the institutions that run our society. Culture has to have the ability to fail. Soul for Europe, es geht um Empfindlichkeit. It's not about romanticizing difference because the EU itself has this motto of, of unity and diversity. These voices probably give you a glimpse of what to expect in the next 22 minutes. A very warm welcome to everyone who's listening to a new podcast episode from Polis 180. I'm Corina and I'm part of the program Cultural Policy at Polis 180. On April 12th and April 13th, Polis was part and partner of the A Soul for Europe conference. Close to the European elections coming up on May 26th, representatives from EU politics, arts and culture gathered to tackle questions and find answers regarding no smaller topic than the future of Europe. Before we start, you might be wondering, Europe as Seoul, how does this actually fit together? So a Soul for Europe is an initiative. It connects and mobilizes citizens and democratic institutions across Europe and it aims at fostering a sense of responsibility for the future of Europe and democracy through the means of culture. In cooperation with the Strategy Group, the Stiftung Zukunft Berlin and a variety of conference partners such as Das Progressive Zentrum, Zeit Online and Polis 180, the initiative organized the conference that has the same name. This year it has taken place for the 10th time and this year's host was the Academy of Arts in Berlin. You're thinking, he hasn't prepared and he's come to ask for an extension until October the 31st. <laughs> Who would have thought that the European Parliament would have voted to have European elections and therefore have to face Nigel Farage in the chamber again? This year's conference was all about the European elections and building connections between European politics, the arts and culture. The formats include podium discussions, collecting of ideas and 10 different workshops, artistic presentations and conversations between policymakers, artists and the European cultural sector. As partners of the organization, Polis 180 organized together with the cultural policy team and supportive Polis members two of the 10 workshops. This podcast gives insights into the debates and its topics during the conference. It provides our perspective on the cooperation of arts, culture and politics within and for Europe. We gathered voices from different panelists, laureates and workshop speakers. Before the discussion started, the conference was opened with a classical concert of the Christova Music Group and the celebratory presentation of the Evans Arts Prize. This year's winner, Esther Salomon, is a Hungarian dancer and choreographer. Salomon explained that receiving the Evans Arts Prize is symbolic for her work transcending nations and borders. Having received a, an international or European award uh, seems to reflect the way my life and work has evolved. Because having left my country at 21 and having lived, researched, worked, and performed across Europe, I consider my work transnational and cross-cultural. 
After a first discussion round that developed questions for the following conference day, the key topics to discuss became clear. Urgent debates arose around the importance of culture and artistic interaction in places outside of big cities, in peripheral areas, and possibilities to counter nationalistic movements in Europe. The debates were full of hope that the arts and culture do hold a special power from which European politics will benefit in order to foster solidarity in Europe. Often the hope was combined with a direct demand to make use of this power. Indeed, this sounded like a lot of pressure on the shoulders of the arts. It led us to ask, how can the interdependence of arts, culture and politics actually be defined and what do artists themselves see as artistic power? We addressed our questions to Katrin Rögler, writer and vice president of the Academy of Arts Berlin. Rögler underlines the pressure that currently lies on the arts and culture to help Europe out of its political crisis. A beneficial cooperation of arts and culture includes for Rögler the allowance of the failure of arts. Politics needs to allow the arts to fail in order to have a beneficial cooperation for both. For her, this is due to the distinct character of the arts and culture. In the moment, we have a, a very strong pressure that we have to solve a lot of problems. First of all, culture is something which is not national, can't be nationalized. Yeah? The books are traveling, the films are traveling, we work together. So we are already in an international room, we are talking to each other and uh, we bring something into the debate which is, from its origins, international. At the end of day one, we talked to Christoph Slagmurde, director of the Wiener Festwochen, and Monique Kantus-Berber, French philosopher and representative of the Evans Foundation, about their thoughts on arts and culture. For Slagmurde, The beauty of the art is that we will never be able to say uh, what's the function of the art and it should stay like this, it should have no function from the moment it's, be it's becoming an instrument for something else and arts in itself is a, is a form of knowledge that we can, we can learn a lot from the arts but in a very different way than what we could learn actually from a text of justice or from, or from a report of a journalist. Monique Cantos-Berber put emphasis on the current social realm of culture. Culture, especially today, is not, uh, you know, can develop itself outside of the economic system or the social relationships, obviously. And uh, there is a, a big question about the economy of cultural production uh, now, especially in certain forms of arts. Um. Cantos Berber sees critical results of the economy of cultural production, especially in filmmaking and music. The Hungarian writer Noemi Kiss sees literature as an art form in opposition to those affected by the economy of cultural production. Kiss states that literature is different than other progressive arts that need the big cities in order to develop. Hence, there is always a possibility to bring literature into the village. In her aim to do so, Kiss experienced people in rural areas being open and welcoming towards literature. Thus, literature is also a means to tackle and build 
felt a contrast to the many conservative voices coming from the countryside. Just as much he sees a benefit in taking a closer look at Europe's peripheral areas to better understand Eastern Europe as a whole. While big cities are for his exemplary for Western Europe, Eastern Europe resonates much more with the countryside, where every village has its own unique culture. Hence, this sounds like a disbalance in Europe's own perception of culture that indeed puts a strong focus on culture in capitals and big cities. André Wilkins, director of the European Institute for Culture, disagrees with the Eastern and Western European culture difference and disbalance. I do not see that uh, general division. The division in certain questions between political parties uh, and that we have certain right-wing movements, especially in governments, uh, left-wings like in Romania, Hungary and Poland. But on the other side, we cooperate in Poland very much with the civil society and the other political parties to change that. So what did we take away from day one? A controversial debate about rural areas, differences between East and West Europe, on cultural, artistic and political levels, the importance of artistic freedom from politics, at the same time pressure on the arts to solve a political crisis, and concerns about the effects of an economy of cultural production. Um, a very good morning. My name is Safak Tabak and I will be your guide in the next session. It's going to be quite a session because this looks intimidating, right? Eleven chairs on the stage. Um, well, it is intimidating, but we'll find a way to make this work. Uh, trust me. Um, I'm, uh, Day two brought artists, cultural leaders and politicians together on one podium. Nele Hartling, former theatre director and driving force behind the Assault for Europe initiative, talked to us about her wishes towards politics and support for the arts. Hartling advocated for a more political presence during cultural events. The respect and curiosity of politicians is what arts and culture need to build closer ties to politics. Hartling sees festivals and cultural events always as more than just a performance. They are also a space for conversation and new encounters and would enable politicians to go beyond theoretical debates about the arts and culture and instead build real debates and interaction. Strengthening the ties between arts and culture became the topic of many debates on day two. For the British filmmaker Mike Downey... For me the two things are absolutely inseparable. That you, every act of making a piece of cinema is also a political act. If politics doesn't take a healthy and in curiosity in the arts, then pretty much everything is lost. Actually. In order to tackle current issues in the European film scene, he emphasized growing regional collaborations. Um, I think that there are regional pockets, let's say, in southern Europe, in the Balkans, in eastern Europe, in the Visegrad countries, whereby if there can be pockets of regional collaboration, they understand each other's stories, they understand very often each other's languages. And so these ideas of regional cooperation can be a future. However, in order to achieve this, in these regional, in these periphery countries, there should be attacks on Amazon. There should be attacks on Netflix, and this should be put into the local community. And we need a new generation to come on and pick up the mantle and to take this forward and to fight for what is really important in terms of film and politics. 
Summing up the main propositions demanded, a text to benefit artists and the cultural sector in underrepresented areas, a revised media system for Europe that builds stronger connections towards European rural areas, new ways to bring arts and support for arts and culture into rural areas as well as fostering exchange between bigger cities and the countryside, EU institutions with an awareness for culture and artistic differences and difficulties, especially for regions in Southern and Eastern Europe, combined with acknowledging their strengths and finding solutions together to grow out of weaknesses. And making room for the new generation of Europeans and giving them space and opportunities to take a lead towards new developments. This led us to ask, where are the voices of the new European generation in arts and culture and what do they add to this? We gathered the ideas of our three panelists of the Polis 180 workshop Beyond the Others at Home in Black Europe. Johnny Pitts, who is a writer, photographer and the funder of the project Afropean. I think when we talk about arts and culture, we have to sort of define what we mean by art and culture. You know, are we talking about the art and culture that get accepted into Tate Modern or, I don't know, the Louvre? Or, or are we talking about art and culture, you know, um, for all? And, and if we are, then how can we get those voices um, to take part in the discussion of art and culture? Because, I, you know, so often I think that the people who have the voices are, are kind of cherry-picked. A concrete example for him is... Where I grew up, um, there was an artist called uh, Fista, and he was one of the, the big artists, in not just in the UK, but across Europe, one of the biggest graffiti artists. Um, not only was his graffiti well considered illegal and wiped off of the, the, the streets, but, um, but he was eventually sentenced to five years for his work, you know? Um, and this at a time when Jean-Michel Basquiat's paintings, which were actually very similar to, to Fister's paintings in the States, were selling, and I'm not saying this is right either, but they were selling for like half a million uh, dollars and they're worth probably four or five million dollars today. For Moshtari Hilal, who is an artist and illustrator, the topic requires to involve the debate about the presence of colonial history. I think if we don't speak about the other side of Europe or the um, bigger context, the global context of European culture. We just have an incomplete conversation. And this is why I feel uncomfortable talking about Europe identity or Europe solidarity without um, yeah, talking about the privileges and burden that comes with the wealth that is accumulated in Europe, right? I felt it the most when I was in the British Museum in London and I looked also in the Victorian Albert Museum. But you could also say this about every other big European museum, looking at these artworks, looking at these pieces, um, how did they come there and why are they exhibited here and not somewhere else on the globe? Um, just thinking about this already starts a conversation that we have to have and actually there is a collective in London that does um, the uncomfortable art tour and they go to these museums and they talk about how colonialism stole, this art, um, stole these pieces and the influence on material culture 
and we could start the conversation there and continue it to the contemporary arts. Antje Scharenberg, who is a researcher at Goldsmith University in London and part of the European Alternatives, brought up the question of why we think about a soul for Europe in the singular. I think it's quite interesting that we pose this as a singular soul and that there's not more than one soul, perhaps. And I think the same goes for this question of trying to find a common European identity because I think there's the risk that if we, if we focus on, on commonality and then we f try and find beautiful symbols for that, whether that's a flag or a hymn, as you have a lot of uh, repertoire, big repertoire of European symbols in the sense of symbols that represent the EU, then, then important differences are concealed. And I think it's not about necessarily romanticizing difference because the EU itself has this motto of, of unity and diversity. But there is a question to be raised about whether it's not more useful sometimes perhaps to stick with the differences and actually to ask what differences are we talking about and which, difference, which differences lead to inequalities. What you were talking about. Yeah. And how wait. Exactly. Yeah, I think we had fun. We, we enjoyed ourselves. We had two subjects. Differences and diversity were the right keywords to build the bridge to our second Polis 180 workshop, Culture Policy from Below. This workshop aimed to develop opportunities for participation and cooperation, thinking about ideas for a more social coexistence, and designing scenarios for a more solidary Europe from the bottom up. By taking part in a role play, participants were asked to put themselves in a situation and mindset of another fellow European in order to discuss different perspectives in the field of cultural policy. I would like to... First of all, did you, did you enjoy the game? Did you enjoy the game? Uh, no, 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 no. Yes. <laughs> the situation was first unusual for many, but grew to find big support also from the side of the participating politicians, such as Kai Gruvet from the German Liberal Party. Um, well, I thought that was an extraordinary experience. I think you've been doing a very good job, first of all, to, to bring in all these new ideas. And I'd be very interested to know all about the other ideas. But also, you know, to, to be to the need to think about being another pe person. I think that's a good idea to help to reflect on certain points. And uh, of course, as a politician, you have to do that. But it's always good if you, give, if you get someone who is, uh, you, you didn't think about yourself. Special interest arose for the idea of making European history a focus of history classes in school, as well as the proposition to digitalize learning experiences in schools and museums. European history museums all over Europe, but not just the classical history museum, uh, but like a more um, a multimedia digital experience. A digitalized learning experience allows us to visualize the concept of Europe and thus builds a first step towards experiencing and perceiving Europe in a new way in order to develop a sensitivity and a connection to the European idea. These were our insights into the ASO for Europe conference this year. Concluding, we are happy for being a part of the conference that provided a space for debates, connections, disagreements and learning from another. Arts and culture visualize the conflicts and oppositions Europe currently lives with. Both make clear that in order to grow, Europe needs an honest debate about these conflicts to refine Europe in theory and practice.
A beneficial interdependence of the arts, culture and politics in Europe does however demand from politicians and cultural policy makers to develop a sense of curiosity for the arts, making space and providing the means for artistic freedom without setting an agenda in advance, and last but not least, including a diversity of new perspectives into their debates and decision-making processes. Thereby, arts and culture will be a unique support to set political and social changes in Europe in motion and enable us, as European citizens, to build a deeper sense of connection with Europe. This Polis 180 podcast solely represents the author's opinion and does not speak for Polis 180 as an organization. Polis 180 is a grassroots think tank that translates scientific insights for political decision makers. We introduce our generation's ideas, analysis and solutions into the political discourse through innovative and inclusive approaches and develop real alternatives for constructive foreign and European policy.